0: Welcome to Colts Roundtable Live on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Taylor, big run. He's at the 40, 35, 30, 20, and he's inside the red zone. He's tracked down from behind, down to the 19-yard line. We're talking Colts and recapping the action. 10 to 5, a touchdown for the Colts. How about it? Indianapolis scores on a blocked punt. Settles in, floats it downfield, and it is picked off by the Colts. Running the other way with it. Now here's the voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor, from the Indiana Union Construction Industry Radio Studio.
1: Hey, good evening, everybody. Welcome inside the last installment of Colts Roundtable Live here in 2023, or at least for the 2023 season now that it's in the books. We are presented by Citizens Energy Group, proud to be the Colts conservation partner. Find winning conservation tips at citizensenergygroup.com. I'm Matt Taylor with you until 6.30 tonight, and tonight we're recapping the Week 18 loss to the Texans and also recapping the 2023 season now that it's in the books for the Colts as the team finished 9-8. Normally, we're joined by Colts head coach Shane Steichen at the top of this program. As you can imagine today, he's crazy busy. He's been meeting with players all day long as this is the final time they'll be in the building, the uh, team's training facility, until the off-season workout program rolls back around in April. Uh, So those meetings started very early this morning. They're actually still ongoing and uh, I would imagine they're going to run until well into the evening as well. Coming up on segment two, I'll be joined by Colts analysts Rick Venturi and Joe Wrights, And they'll take your social media questions tonight using hashtag Colts Roundtable on X. But the Colts fell 23-19 to 19 to the Texans on Saturday night at Lucas Oil Stadium in what was an electric atmosphere in downtown Indianapolis. The win for Houston, coupled with the Jaguars' loss on Sunday, means the Texans win the AFC South for the first time since 2019, and the loss for the Colts sees them missing out on the playoffs for the third consecutive year. The Colts trailed early in the game 14-3, but cut the deficit to eight points at halftime on a field goal by Matt Gay. Indianapolis tied the game 14 apiece on a 49 yard Jonathan Taylor touchdown run in the third quarter and a two point conversion to Mo Alley Cox. And Taylor had an epic day rushing for 188 yards, the second highest rushing total in a game for him in his career. And as a team, the Colts rushed for a season high 227 on the Texans defense. That was giving up less than 90 rushing yards a game. Taylor passed Joseph Dye for the 7th most rushing yards in team history and also moved into 5th place in team history in rushing touchdowns. Taylor shined for the Colts, but it was C.J. Stroud and Nico Collins stealing the show for the Texans. The rookie quarterback went 20 for 26 in the passing game for 264 with two touchdowns and a passer rating of 138. And with this total, Stroud became the fifth rookie quarterback in NFL history to reach 4,000 passing yards in his first year. His favorite target on the night was Nico Collins because the Texans were down their number two, number three, and number four wide receivers with injuries. Collins finished with nine catches for 195 yards and a touchdown. He ended the game with 74% of the team's reception yards. All other Texans wideouts had just 11 yards receiving on two catches. And then we all know what came down to the end for the Colts, the last drive for them on offense, trailing 23-17 with 106 left, running back Tyler Goodson, couldn't secure an off-target pass from quarterback Gardner Minshew in the left flat on fourth and one at the Texans' 15-yard line. The Texans would take over, and for the Colts, that essentially ended their comeback hopes. All right, as we mentioned, Shane Steichen did meet with the media earlier today and discuss the positive momentum he thought the team generated this season going into next season and the offseason that lies ahead.
2: I think uh, you always want to, you know,
3: have a solid year. Obviously, you want to get in the playoffs, right? That's the goal. The goal is to win the division uh, and get in the playoffs, and we were right there. And uh, to come up short, it was very disappointing. But a lot to learn from uh, myself, uh, everybody involved uh, going forward so we can have a hell of a you know 2024 season.
1: And the Colts finished the season with five more wins than they did last year in 2022. And the Colts are one of only four teams in the NFL that improved their win total by that many games in 2023. But the team still fell short of the postseason despite all the good they did this year. So what does Shane think of where the Colts are at? How close are the Colts in his estimation to being a great team in the future?
2: I think we're
3: right there. I think we're right there. And uh, you could see it by the way our guys fought, but every year is a new year. So we got to rebuild it again next year. Uh, and have that laser focus just every single day. The details, the preparation that we put into it. Um, we got to be all over it. But I do. I think we're right on the cusp of something really special here.
1: That's Colts head coach Shane Steichen from earlier this morning at his end of the season press conference with reporters. And those comments are brought to you by Citizens Energy Group. Save at home on monthly bills when you can serve water and energy. For money saving tips, visit Citizens Energy Group. Com. We've got plenty more to get into tonight when we come back. We'll welcome in Rick Venturi and Joe Wrights, And again, we'll get their big takeaways from the Saturday night loss to the Texans. And then on segment three. Uh, We're talking about how we're viewing some things on this Colts team heading into the offseason based on how the end of the season unfolded for the Colts, and then we're taking your questions from X on the mailbag in segment number four. So a loaded show per usual, again with you until 6.30 tonight before the Pacer game. We're coming back with all of that in just a moment. You're listening to Colts Roundtable Live here on the home of the Colts, 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan.
0: This is Roundtable Live, a full hour dedicated to Colts football. Here again is Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts, from the Indiana Union Construction Industry Radio Studio.
1: Thanks for coming back tonight. This is Colts Roundtable Live here on the fan, brought to you by Citizens Energy Group. Proud to be the Colts conservation partner, as always. Find winning conservation tips at citizensenergygroup.com. Also, you can sack game day cravings. With the $10, I should say, Colts meal deal, complete with the All American Cheeseburger, four boneless wings, and a half order of tots, only available there at Buffalo Wild Wings, available at select Indianapolis Buffalo Wild Wings locations where additional terms apply. We're applying all that knowledge right now with Rick Venturi and Joe Wrights here on the program on this last edition of Colts Roundtable Live, wrapping up the 2023 season for the Colts. And before we even get started, gentlemen, just want to say another great season on the pregame show by both of you guys and on this show every Monday night. It's truly special having your experience. And your knowledge with us every single week, again on Sundays and on Monday nights, doing this show. So, can't thank you enough, gentlemen. I'll start with you, Joe. How you doing? How was that vacation? Coming back just in time uh, from uh, Disney World to make the pregame show. That was awesome.
3: Yeah, we were, we were running on fumes Saturday night, but I tell you what, <laughs> it was so elec- electric there in Touchdown Town, and it was so electric being in the stands at Lucas Oil. I mean, that was the that was the biggest home game we've had in several years. Really, you probably go back to 2018 and Andrews last year. Obviously, the last playoff game was 2014, and that's what it was. It was a playoff game, and it was great to see that vibe, primetime, the only game in town. That's what the Colts should be about, and those are the games they should be playing in year in and year out, and I think with Shane, and I think with Richardson, and I think we're setting ourselves up to be a very successful program over the next decade or so, but that doesn't take away the sting of Saturday night. And, I mean, we were right there, and those opportunities don't come all the time. And that's just what disappointing to me because I feel like we let Houston dictate to us what they were going to do, and they beat us. And then to rub salt in the wound, Tennessee whips up on Jacksonville yesterday, and now Houston's hosting a home playoff game. So I tell you what, that's uh, I, I won't be watching that Saturday afternoon because it'll be too painful to – to watch the uh, the new <laughs> AFC South champions, the Texans, which we had in our grasp and uh, let slip away.
1: Yeah, and, and credit to you, Rick. I mean, you've been calling that for the last month or so, and Saturday night was just made even even worse by Sunday afternoon with the Jaguars tanking the way they did, and yeah, you know, the Colts missed out on a major opportunity. It's it's a lot of what ifs here on this Monday night.
2: Yeah, you know, I I'm lost today, to be honest with you. I did not. I, I totally felt. In my heart, that we were going into this weekend, that it was all going to open up for us, that we were better than Houston. Jacksonville was on a death slide. You know, I fully expected to be in here today. You know, I had I had done three days. I didn't even tell anybody. I did three days on Cleveland last week. Yeah, I was totally ready to come in here and uh, and and do Cleveland. And uh, I'm I'm just really just a little bit lost. I will say one thing. I think this show has just grown, uh, and I, you know, I'll editorialize for us. Uh, I think it's one of the best uh, post-game shows that you're ever going to find, and I think it's based on three guys that are highly prepared, highly knowledgeable, have tremendous chemistry, and in many ways have become good friends. And I think that's how you put a show, a team, a unit together and so you know like i always say i'm just proud to be a part of it
1: yeah likewise i know joe feels the same way so thanks again for all that you guys do uh but we got about uh you know three or four more segments to wrap it up and uh, put things into perspective here at the end of the 2023 season again rick venturi and joe Wrights. i'm matt taylor here tonight on 93.5 and 107.5 the fan and we lead off like we always do with rick and joe both examining the game film from Saturday night. Let's talk about what happened and the turning points here on the tail of the tape.
0: so cool, baby, racing hell today, okay? That's the way to go, fellas. Bang, bang, play, bang, bang. Keep the hammer down, all right? Keep talking to one another, man, and clean it up. That's all. Get ready, get ready! Yes! Yeah! Yeah!
1: Tale of the tape time discussing the fallout from Saturday night as the Colts fell 23-19. The loss sees the Colts uh, and their season come to an end with a record of 9-8. Still a a winning record on the campaign, but again, uh, so many things that that could have been for this team this year as the Colts rushed for over 200 yards. Uh, Jonathan Taylor had 188 and a 49-yard rushing touchdown in the third quarter. As we said, C.J. Stroud was on fire, 77% completion percentage. Nico Collins with 195 receiving, accounting for 74% of the team's receiving total. Outside of that, the Texans' wideouts combined for just two catches for 11 yards. And, of course, everybody at the water cooler today still talking about the fourth down play with just over a minute to go. So, Joe writes, you're up first. What notes did you jot down on the tail of the tape with the Colts coming up short in week 18?
3: Yeah, I mean, big picture, it's really hard to lose in the NFL when you have no turnovers, you have three total penalties, and you rush for over 200 yards. I mean, that's a winning formula. But when you look at the stats, we're 0-3 in the red zone, and we were 0-10 on third down to start the game. I think we finished 1 of 11, but we just couldn't convert on third down, and you know, Minshew was a little bit off. You know, it's there were, there were four or five times we were ready to have that big play, and we just couldn't connect. You know, receivers step behind. You know, there's some pressure here or there. And so I just felt like offensively we never really clicked. I think Taylor's heroic effort kept us in the game. But I do think a couple things. You know, we go right down the field, and we get in the red zone, but we miss a chance on third down. We kick the field goal. But, I mean, that 75-yarder that to Nico Collins right off the bat that just completely changed the trajectory of the game in terms of now we're playing catch-up the whole game. And it was 7-3, then it was 14-3, then we get back in the game 14-6 before half and we score right out of half. But we were always playing catch-up. And then I just think defensively that last drive. I mean, when you have multiple chances, when they're second and 20, first and 20, second and 14, second and 13, and we just continued to let them make easy throws, that's what's really hard to stomach because you knew that they were have Nico Collins and a bunch of practice squad wide receivers. No offense to those guys. I was on the practice squad three years and happy I was, but we we let him beat us and we let him go for 200 and Stroud be awful comfortable in the pocket. A lot of the stuff we talked about in the pregame that you can't let happen against a good rhythm passer. So everybody's talking about fourth and one and Goodson. I know we'll get into that call in terms of whether you take Taylor off the field, et cetera, but I really felt like – defensively just not having a better plan for him is what cost us the game ultimately and it started out the very first play when they went 75 yards and we were confused on some coverage
2: yeah you know i i will i will at some point uh reflect on this and be really pleased with the you know the jump from one january to the second january the jump four wins to nine wins and in terms of our future. I, I will do that, but as Tom Cruise said in Maverick, not today. Okay. I thought yesterday, in a way, you know, and if we make the fourth down, if we make the fourth and one, the narrative obviously changes. But I feel like in the end, yesterday was a little bit of a chasm, was why in many games we couldn't get over the top and why we couldn't get over the top yesterday. You know, and I think on offense – Three things hit you, and they've really been there all year. If you look at it statistically, in the t- in total, uh, this will be b- this will back it up. One, you know, we get no explosive plays in the passing game. I mean, I I, I think we what we throw for Matt 135. is something like 5.3 per game. So you can run the ball mm-hmm. really well in this league, but if you don't get explosive plays in the passing game, you're not going to score. We're one for 12 on third and fourth down, which has basically been a problem all season. And then the bottom line, 0 for 3 in the red zone. And so all those things really have been issues despite having a great offensive line and great running back performance yesterday. But those issues really have kind of plagued us all season. Sometimes we've overcome them. Sometimes we haven't, you know, and then – on defense, the inability to stop quarterbacks, not just elite quarterbacks, any quarterback, and the inability to have game-specific game plans, uh, you know, for wide receivers. I thought specifically, I thought our offensive line was terrific. I really did. I I thought they were terrific. I thought Shane and Tony continued to use a diverse running game like we saw the week before. It even got better. Uh, Jonathan had probably the game of his life, uh, 228 yards rushing, just absolutely amazing, you know. And again, as I said, if we just execute the perfect call on fourth and one, it's a whole different, um, yeah. it's a whole different narrative. But you know, you you got to get points 17. You can't count on 17 uh, to win a big game. You got to be better than that. And we have been a good scoring team. We still ended up number 10 in the league, which we'll get into that. I think that's a great deal for Steichen. Uh, defense, to me, just continues to be generic, blackboard, um, absolutely no game specifics. I've said that for two years now. Uh, you know, we had really, there was really, and Joe mentioned it before, we talked extensively on the game plan. There were two big issues. They had two really big weapons The running game, they weren't very good at. They were 2.1, but they had two big weapons. They had a quarterback who's dynamic and very good, and they had one receiver, and as you guys said, a bunch of JV guys, the fifth and sixth receivers on their team. They had one guy. You had to stop one guy, and we didn't in one time, not one time in 60 minutes did we ever specialize a coverage for him. He goes 9 for 9, goes 195, you know, it's plus 20. Um, If, you know, if you go two games, he goes 16 for 346 plus 20. Right. I mean, and this is with nobody else. And I, I agree with Joe. I think spotting them seven on the first play of the game was much more critical, much more of a factor than the fourth down play. And that was absolutely ridiculous. You And it, you can tell me it's cover four, and we might. But, see, the problem with four-palms coverage, and I've coached all of it, is four-palms coverage, you can't guarantee a safety double. It's not like cover two where you roll over. I would have been rolling over him every down. Mm-hmm. In cover four, you might get help, you might not. And in palms, there's a lot of margin for error. There's indecision, which Cross had. But at the same time you're stringing out a 4-5-3 corner on a 4-4 four, four wideout, out and that's just bad football. That just that just doesn't work at any level whatsoever. And then as Joe said that same old thing came back. That fourth that fourth quarter collapse when we were in advantage, 2nd and 20, 1st and 20, right. 2nd and 14. Now the last throw, the last throw was a laser beam, but he was able to get out. He was able to make it. So the two things that we had to stop Collins and make the, and make the quarterback nervous, he, he only had 134 passer ratings. Right. So that was an abjunct failure in both situations. And, you know, in that respect, I mean, you just yeah. you're not going to come out of it. And what's so disappointing is I will believe to the day I die we have a better team than Houston.
1: Yeah, those two things you talked about uh, did not happen for most of the night right there. Again, that's Rick Venturi and Joe Wrights. Hey, Colts fans, remember that the weather authorities are Fox 59 and CBS 4, Indiana's largest and weather rate certified most accurate weather. And we're also brought to you tonight by Caesar Sportsbook, proud sports betting partner of the Indianapolis Colts. All right, that's the tail of the tape again with Rick and Joe. I'm Matt Taylor. When we come back, we're talking about How to put this season into perspective. Not many people expected the Colts to have a winning record in 2023, but yet they did, but they did not make the playoffs. We'll talk about some areas of the team after 18 games and how you should feel about them going into next season. So that's coming up next when we come back here after this quick timeout on Colts Roundtable Live on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan.
0: Welcome back to Colts Roundtable Live on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. For more Colts Breakdown, here's Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts, from the Indiana Union Construction Industry Radio Studio.
1: Thanks for joining in here on Colts Roundtable Live tonight on The Fan. And we are presented by Citizens Energy Group, proud to be the Colts conservation partner. Find winning conservation tips at CitizensEnergyGroup.com. Com. Also, tonight's show brought to you by Hot Box Pizza. When the Colts score, you score. Check out your favorite Hotbox location for 50% off your entire order every Monday this season with promo code COLTS. All right, now that the season is over, we're going to discuss how you view it, how you view it now compared to at the beginning of the season back in training camp, and how you should view it going into the off season and heading into the 2024 campaign, I should say. So let's start first with the quarterback, because halfway through training camp, the Colts announced that Anthony Richardson would be the team starter at quarterback, but he would only go on to play 173 snaps this season, only 18 snaps on the road before his season ended with a shoulder injury back in Week 5. Threw for 577 yards, three touchdowns, a pick, Uh, was really good on the ground. Uh, He ran for 136 yards, four touchdowns, becoming the first quarterback in the Super Bowl era with touchdown runs in his first three games. So then Gardner Minshew came in. He appeared in 16 of 17 games this season for the Colts, won a career-high seven games as a starter, and set a new single-season career-high in passing yards with uh, over 3,300. So, Rick, I'll begin with you. In terms of the quarterback situation for the Colts, how do you view it now, how did you view it going into the season, and how did you, how do you, I should say, view it um, with Gardner Minshew hitting free agency going into this 2024 campaign?
2: Yeah, and that would be the difference in the now and how I viewed it. In terms of Anthony, uh, that is unchanged. Uh, I think the kid has absolutely everything you have to have in a quarterback, mm-hmm. the quarterback skills, the tools. I think he has the mental framework, the emotional framework. And I think he has great leadership. And I think if you couple that with Shane is the very, is the perfect flexible, has experience with this guy to develop him. The only the two negatives I think, I think number one, I, I think the expectancy is going to be really high. But by losing a lot of the majority of the season, next year may be a little bit more of a developmental year than you think. There may be more bumps in the road that we, we may have been able to get through from that standpoint. And then I think number two, and this is a question I never had before, but I do now, is is the type of offense, the NCAA type of offense, actually sustainable in the NFL from a health standpoint? Because the reason you drafted him was to be part tailback, part quarterback, not just dropback quarterback, not that he can't do it. And they have done a lot with Jalen Hurts. The guy that he's closest to is Hurts, not Lamar, but Hurts. And I think they've done a lot with Hurts in terms of learning how to slide, when to get down, how to get out of trouble, and things like that. But I I am a little concerned in that. Like I said, I was never before, but when you when you face this major injury and you come out of four games, you know, there's got to be some concern there. But in terms of long-range future, uh, there's no doubt in my mind if he stays healthy, you have a superstar coming. Now, in terms of Minshew, my opinion has changed quite a bit. I thought that he was definitely a backup, that he was, I, I used to call him, as you know, thousand paper cut guys, type, kind of a game manager. I think he's better than that. I think he's starter too. Personally, I don't think we would have won nine games. I, I, I always say it this way. We didn't win nine games with Minshew. We won nine games because of Minshew. He's he's very good. He's very, very accurate, very smart. He pushed the ball better in the last five weeks than he did early. He's not great at that. I think he's a much, much better athlete than you think he is. He made so many plays on his feet, extension, either running or actually making throws downfield. We've seen some terrific plays that way in the last month. You know, the guy has leadership qualities. He has his own kind of a funny charisma, but it's there. And he has that selective amnesia. He's not a guy who's going to linger on a mistake. He keeps playing. He's not going to panic. Now, he may his value may have gone up so much that we can't afford him. But I'm not sure the way the NFL is going today, and you, I don't know how many backup quarterbacks, I think 18 got in or something, is I think what you're going to see a trend is a much higher salary for a backup quarterback if he's good today.
3: Yeah, I would agree with everything Coach said. I do think it's important to re-sign Minshew if we can. It'll be interesting to see what his market value is. But the positive thing for the Colts is you got Richardson under his rookie contract. And so if you're somebody that, you know, if you're the Jets, you know, and you're paying Rodgers $50 million a year, you're probably not as likely to pay a backup big money. You know what I'm saying? And so I think the fact that we can keep him there, but he certainly means a lot to this team. And Coach mentioned it. Just his leadership and his swag – For a backup quarterback, a lot of guys don't have that. And I think his number one quality that's most important is that, to be able to back up and come in and completely take the reins of the team. The couple times that he did it in-game when Richardson went out, and and I agree with Coach, how sustainable is Richardson running the ball 10, 12, 15 times? He had a myriad of injuries in his short time. This offseason is going to be very important for him to understand when to get down, when to take a hit, how to not take direct hits, you know, and maybe you, you you take a hit falling down to the ground rather than take somebody head on. But the reality is Minshew can win you games. And with Richardson and some of the unknowns about the health, I think it's important to have him in the fold. If you can make it happen, you know, Chris Ballard and the salary cap moving into 2024.
1: All right, that's how do you view it on the quarterback situation? Let's stay on offense and let's go to Michael Pittman in terms of his role. Because before the season started, He was coming off a season with 99 catches, but less than 1,000 yards with a carousel of quarterbacks in his first three years. But this year, he posted a career-high 109 catches over 1,100 yards, uh, became just the fourth Colts wide receiver ever to post 100 catches and 1,000 yards in a single season, uh, passed Bill Brooks for the third most receiving yards by a Colts player in their first four seasons. So, Joe, how did you view Pittman back in training camp How do you view him now, and how do you view him going into free agency just in terms of his importance and how integral he is to this team going into 2024 now?
3: Yeah, I think Pittman is a huge part of this team. I think he had a better season uh, than maybe I would have thought into training camp. I think we saw that really maybe not as much in the games he played but the games he didn't play and how completely different our offense was. I do think, especially with Minshew, and Minshew's not a guy that's going to uncork it deep, and, and we didn't call a ton of deep throws, but Pittman is just so reliable, so valuable, the physicality he plays with. And I think Pittman's importance as a wide receiver is more important to this team than maybe any other team in the NFL. And what I mean by that is he's a willing and aggressive physical blocker, and he sets the tone. And there's a lot of runs this year when we got on the edge and Pittman is just destroying his guy downfield. And so for a team like the Colts, and when you got a weapon like Taylor that can run it for 200, I think Pittman's value is more important than if he was on a team you know, that threw the ball 50 times a game, if that makes sense. So, again, there'll be a lot of decisions going into free agency, but mm-hmm. I think Pittman has proved his worth in terms of just his steadiness, his reliability, and he's continued to get better and better each year.
2: Yeah, Mike is a very interesting. It's a it's a dichotomy to me. I'm a little ambivalent in terms of myself as a fan and myself as an analyst. And if I if I have my GM's cap on, um, in terms of me personally as a fan and as a coach, I love him. Okay, I think he's tougher than nails. Um, you know, I think he's competitive. He's basically, for us, a very uh, high-volume inside receiver. He's tougher than nails. He'll do all the dirty work. Uh, He's a team guy. Uh, And I think, and Joe made a really good point, I think he's invaluable to this team. I think he's more valuable to the Colts than he is on the open market. And I'll talk to you about that. So when you sign him, there, to me, has to be a context. First of all, he's fifth in the league in high-volume catches and catches. All right, but number two, he's 85th in the league in yards per catch in the tens, which puts him right in the middle of the tight ends and slots, not with any of the elite receivers in the league and four touchdowns. So in that sense, I think when you go to, say, pay him, I think there's a context that you pay him. I see him as a context player, not necessarily a total package. Um, I think hes he doesn't have great speed. He doesn't beat people one-on-one, and he doesn't do much after the catch. He's not creative with the ball in his hand. And so where he's really effective is really on the inside, like a tight end or like a slot. I've always said He's kind of a hybrid tight end in a wide receiver's body. Yeah. And Shane did a great job as the season went on to give formations, to do things to move him around so that he got free access, but never had to create it. you got to understand that. So, you know, in that sense, you know, again, very, very valuable to us. Um, you know, you're going to have to pay to get him. But I would not pay, you know, on a, like on an elite standpoint, because I don't see that. I see him really, you know, as a great tight end, as a great slot inside, a guy that I want desperately on this team. But financially, you also have to, you know, you have to you have to know what you're doing.
3: And, and I think that's where I look at Pittman. He, he's the Colts' most valuable receiver, but our most explosive receiver is Josh Downs. And Josh Downs had three targets, three catches for 48 yards. And I mm-hmm. kept calling more downs, more downs, more downs. And I think he's going to be the guy that next year you continue to see them to find ways to get the ball in the hands because he just finds a way. He, he reminds me of T.Y. Hilton in, in terms of the, they're different receivers, what they do, but he always is open. And he just has that knack to be able to do it. And all of a sudden, he catches one 12 yards down the field. And before you know it, he's turned it into 50. And that's something I thought, you know, going back to the game a little bit, we, we could have fed Downs on two or three more plays and got explosive plays because our explosive plays come from Jonathan Taylor running the ball and Josh Downs catching the ball.
1: Yeah, good stuff right there. Rick Venturi, Joe Wright, i Matt Taylor. We're talking about how you view some things. Let's close out here. Let's go to the other side of the ball talk about the defense because back in training camp, Uh, That unit looked like it had the potential to be a top-ten unit, Pro Bowl players and Pro Bowl caliber players in all three levels of the defense, and they definitely had their moments this year. Uh, They held eight opponents to 20 points or less. They were 8-0 in those games, the Colts were, However, they uh, they finished the season on defense, ranking twenty seventh in scoring. The Colts had four players who had at least seven sacks this season, and as a team, they broke the Indy era record for sacks in a single season, with fifty one. But the Colts also played with a young secondary for most of the year. Uh, They routinely allowed big games to the opposition's top targets. And then we talked about it on Saturday. The Texans were without their number two, number three, number four guys. Nico Collins still had a big game for. Uh, counting for 195 of the Texans' 306 total yards. So, Rick, how do you view this Colts defense? Uh, I should say, let's go back in time. How did you view it back in the summer, and how do you view it now, um, and what the outlook there is going into 2024?
2: Well, I'm with you, and you know, you tend to you tend to have a different kind of look in the summertime. And you tend to look at at the team as individuals. You look at a lot of one-on-one drills. You don't really see them play against another team collectively. So what you're doing is kind of evaluating talent in the preseason. And I will stand by this. I think it's a really talented unit. I, I think that Ballard has really given them talent. I mean, you have two of the best inside players in football as a combination, you got a busload of rushers. I mean, we got all kinds of we got a bunch of guys between eight and ten simply because we roll them. We have two of the best young stack linebackers. I think they have what 250 tackles between them. Cross and you know Cross and Blackman are two of the best athletes at safety in the league, and and Kenny Moore is an absolute excellent specialist where he plays. And our two corners are better than advertised. They're getting all the heat, and all the excuses for our scheme are made because of the corners. And I'm not buying it because we played the same scheme a year ago. What our problem is, is we have a vanilla, and and we have a predictable scheme that people are tearing apart. We play 79% zone. That was as a week ago. I don't know exactly what it is today, but it'll be close. 79% zone, and in that zone, there's no matchup. It's soft on the outside. It's soft on the inside. There's no matchup underneath. There's no hard press, so teams have free access. That's why this play after play is uncontested. It just absolutely drives me crazy, and that's why it's, it's not just a great phenom like the young kid we played on Sunday. It's Browning, it's Heineke, it's it's Aiden O'Connell. I mean, it goes on and on and on in terms of giving up these high percentage. We, we're kingmakers, and it's the same way with wide receivers. Every wide receiver that comes in here has a career day. And even if you don't have good corners, all you have to do when there's one guy out there is you roll to him every down, play run force away, okay, or you go man-to-man, press him in double over the top, and you play nine on everybody else, period, okay? So there's no excuse for what happened on Sunday. So, you know, to me, you know, if you're going to hold players accountable, then you have to hold the coaches and the scheme accountable, too. And I'm, I'm hearing the word continuity thrown around a little bit, but let me just say something about continuity, okay? Let me just give you five playoff teams, Buffalo changes offensive coordinators in the middle of the season, and it's been huge. Pittsburgh, same. Cleveland brings in Jimmy Swartz. They're now number one in the league on defense. Um, Baltimore brings in Monken. Look at the difference he's had with the quarterback. You know, And then look at Miami brings in Fangio. So, and Houston totally re- revisits the whole thing. So, you know, continuity is only good if it's, a, if it's a damn good plan. If it isn't a damn good plan, continuity is not going to make any better.
3: Yeah, I, I think to dovetail off Rick, I think this is the most talented Colts defense we've had in a long time, and he mentioned it. When you think about Stewart and Buckner inside, you think about Ebucom was a great signing. I will say he was better this year than I really would have thought uh, credit to Chris Ballard for signing him. He really can beat you with speed off the edge. He's got good moves. He's got power. You know, pay is what pay is. But Taekwon Lewis, you know, another rusher. And Dio really came on. So, I mean, that's six D linemen right there that are really good. I still – we, we got to have a backup run stuffer, though. You know, when, when those guys go out and, Coach, you mentioned when Stewart goes out, it's completely different. Teams just they, – they, they just put four four yards in the book and they just move on. Our linebackers are incredibly gifted, fast and speed. And I think our corners, while young, they're big, they're strong, they're long. And, and so I'm with Coach. I think we have a talented defense. I think we have a very fast defense. But I think the way that we play defensively is not aggressive and it, it isn't putting those guys in the best position to really live out their strengths. So, and I know we had some injuries in the secondary, but I just think from the roster that's been built in this Colts defense, I am excited moving forward in the future because it's a very talented unit. And uh, a lot of those young guys will continue to grow. So, you got to give some credit to Chris Ballard yeah. Um, for putting that group together.
1: All right, that's how do you view it? I'll look at some aspects of this Colts team with the season wrapped up and the view on things going forward here heading into the offseason. Colts Roundtable Live tonight is brought to you by McDonald's and the Colts score, so do you. Buy one Big Mac, get another one free. When the Colts score a field goal, only in the McDonald's app. And we're also brought to you tonight by Caesars. Enter For the People Sweepstakes presented by Caesars Sportsbook with Caesars Rewards for your chance to win a Peyton Manning autographed item and a $250 gift card to Jack Binion Steak at Horseshoe Indianapolis Racing and Casino. Visit colts.com slash Caesars for more information on that. Must be 21 or older to enter all right time for a quick time out here on colts roundtable live when we come back we're going to wrap it up we're going to take some of your questions on the mailbag segment get those in tonight using hashtag colts roundtable and we'll take uh, a few of the best ones that we have time for when we come back in just a moment you're listening to colts roundtable live back in just a second here on 93.5 and 107.5 the fan
0: We now return to Colts Roundtable Live. Once again, here's Matt Taylor from the Indiana Union Construction Industry Radio Studio.
1: Welcome back for the final time tonight. This is Colts Roundtable Live. We're brought to you by Citizens Energy Group. Proud to be the Colts conservation partner. Find winning conservation tips at citizensenergygroup.com. We're also brought to you by McDonald's, where fuel goals equal deal goals. Buy one Big Mac, get another one. When the Colts make a field goal during any game this season, that's available only in the app. Also tonight, we're brought to you by Meyer, the official super center of the Colts and proud sponsor of hundreds of local sports teams across the Midwest. We're back here for the final time again with uh, Rick Venturi and Joe Wrights. I'm Matt Taylor. To wrap up, we're going to take some of your social media questions on X with the hashtag Colts Roundtable. Uh, obviously, we have not spent a lot of time talking about what happened there at the end of the game as we uh, kind of talked more big picture stuff with this being our last show of the season here. But Let's go to Jonesy. Uh, he's asking, why not have Jonathan Taylor out there, Rick, on fourth and one after we paid him exactly what he wanted? Just your thoughts on the call, the execution, and Jonathan Taylor on the sideline in that big moment there late in the game.
2: Well, first of all, I thought the, Colt, the Colts' procedure was outstanding. They came up on fourth and one. I believe they had a run call to JT, and it was a one-back offense, so it, it probably had to be a zone or some kind of power trap, period. When Gardner, when he looked out there, they had jumped into the bear defense and they added one guy to it because they were in the red zone. It wasn't just the two linebackers. They brought the free safety. So it was like zero coverage. They were like 5-4 in there. They had a nine-man front. And I think when he saw that, he didn't like the play. He, he saw them being able to stuff that play. And so he took the timeout. He looked it over. We had plenty of timeouts. You and I talked about that. I thought that was a good operation. He went over and talked to Shane. I think Shane's mental thought was, "We're not going to force it into the wall of China," which I totally agree with. We know we're going to get man-to-man coverage, so we're going to run a, wub, a rub swing. You know, bring Pittman in and rub the linebacker and swing it around. And that was the play—an absolute perfect call that got misexecuted. Gardner didn't. You know he didn't throw it perfectly. When you're throwing to a running back like that, it's got to be at his eyes, one foot in front of him. You don't want to make him twist. And then the other the kid, you know, good. He's got to turn around and catch the ball. You got to make a difficult play. The only criticism I have is not in the play, but I do believe I would have had Jonathan in there to run the same play. I just, I just, that's the part of me that says play, think players, not plays. But in terms of the procedure and the call, I thought it was outstanding. I just probably would have liked to have Jonathan in there.
3: Yeah, and to add in what Coach said, when Taylor goes out of the game, Houston knows you're not going to run the ball. You're, you're taking out your stud on fourth and one, and so I think mentally they know it's going to be a pass that probably allowed you know those DBs to close a half-second quicker on Goodson, which could cause him to feel a little bit rushed. So I agree with Taylor being in there. And I just think the only thing about Goodson is he hadn't touched the ball all game. And so – If you're him, they threw him one pass early in the game, that third down on the first drive. It's like if if you're the Bulls and Jordan's triple teamed, should he throw one up there triple teamed or should he pass to a wide open Steve Kerr to hit a three? You should pass the ball. And I think that's what the Colts did. They got a wide open play to Goodson, but Goodson also hadn't touched the ball all game. And so that's where I think it's a tough situation for the kid. And I feel really bad for him, obviously. But the bottom line is this game didn't come down to that fourth and one. Everybody's talking about it. This game came down to our inability to stop Nico Collins and our inability, really, on that last offensive drive when we had him in second and 20, first and 20, second and 14, second and 13, to not be able to get a stop and or hold them to a field goal, which would have changed the trajectory of the game.
1: All right, let's sneak in one more if we have time here. Let's go to Zane. Uh, Zane is asking, uh, Joe, do you think we should re sign Gardner Minshew based on what he gave us this season in a year that showed us how valuable backup quarterbacks are
3: around the NFL? I do if the price is right, and that's when it's really hard. But I think you know him and and Pittman and those other guys. I think their value is high to our team. But you, you'll see what he's going to earn on the open market and what it could be about. But the positive thing is you, you do have Richardson under the rookie contract, so you're not paying a a mm-hmm. crazy price if you're going to overpay Minshew a tad, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. And I, but you know, I I think he's so valuable to us because you know I think the Richardson style does make him a little bit more vulnerable than the normal guy if Agreed. You just start from day one. And he knows the Shane and,
1: Steichen system better than most, right? I mean, just with I, all absolutely. that experience.
2: Right. And and you know what? And I, I will say it again. I mean, we won nine, nine games, not in spite of <laughs> Minshew. We yeah. won nine games, in my opinion, because our offensive line was, is really good. We have a great runner. And because of Gardner Minshew, who – incidentally at the end of the day has the 13th best qbr in the league so we might have to overpay there a little bit just because of the circumstances that we're facing
1: the circumstances of anthony richardson coming back and only playing in four games or appearing in four games and year number two and you know some durability questions along the way as well there all right that's the mailbag segment tonight again thanks to everybody all season long for submitting your thoughts and your questions on x with the hashtag colts roundtable and that's all the time we're going to have tonight rick and joe as i said earlier what fun this show is to be with you guys every week you make it fun educational entertaining informative and uh, thanks for all you guys do already. Can't wait for 2024. I'll be talking with you guys soon. But enjoy some time off from football. Have a great winter coming up, Joe. I appreciate you more than you know, man. Thank you so much.
3: Yeah, well, thanks, Matt. I uh, love being on the show. Coach, you as well. I'm going to miss these Monday nights, so we might have to uh, get together and talk some football so we can get our fix in here in the off season.
1: There you go. Yeah, Rick, you need to take Sherry out on a date now. Get reacclimated with her, all right? that's your That's your <laughs> well- job number one here.
2: As soon as I can, I want to get her down to Reddington Beach. She's not ready to go yet. She's anchored in with the grandkids. And so, you know, that might be a while. And uh, I'm sure you and I will get back together at this in a couple of weeks. And certainly we'll start getting ready for the draft and, you know, nope. free agency when we get into March. But mm-hmm. again, I've really, truly, I can't say enough about working with you, but I've really enjoyed the monday night show with you and joe it's just it's really become something i really look forward to yep. so again can't wait to do it again
1: all good stuff on to the next thing the nfl is a beast that doesn't sleep we got the playoffs and the combine and free agency and draft and the off season workout program it's all going to be here in due time so it never stops we never sleep check it out the latest on colts.com And the Colts mobile app has you, as always, 24-7. And if you missed any of the show, it's going to be posted here shortly. Colts.com and the Colts mobile app anywhere you download your podcasts as well on the Colts Audio Network. But this is our final show of the season. Thanks for tuning in all year long. Again, the Pacers are next. I'm Matt Taylor, and thanks for listening to Colts Roundtable Live here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fame.